Hey, what's up? It is the Ryan Rosillo Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network, and it is brought to you by State Farm. Just like basketball, the game of life is unpredictable. Talk to a State Farm agent and get a teammate who can help you navigate the unexpected. Did you see the Paul Pierce High School dunk contest video that was circulating? Kyle, did you check it out? Is that the one where they were like, put some respect on his name? No, that was after. That was his response after <laughs> oh, because the, the okay. high school contest video was bad. And then Pierce, you know, hit up a, a video showing him dunking on guys in the pros. That was always the thing with Pierce is that he was always kind of this slower, methodical angle, non-explosive guy, especially coming in with Vince Carter. And that was one of the knocks on Pierce. Like the idea that Paul Pierce went 10th. And there was a lot of big names in that draft, but it was kind of funny to watch a high school kid because usually, you know, that's when you have all your bounce. The weird thing for me is I couldn't dunk and now I can still hang on the rim. So now I realized that there was just all this untapped, just like, I was like, I don't know what it was. My bounce was like fracking that you just couldn't get to. The angle was off. If I could still hang on the rim at 44, that just means that I, I denied myself some serious posters in my 20s, but I don't know, just didn't work out. I'm getting depressed just thinking about it. Anyway, uh, back to State Farm. Get a teammate who can help you navigate the unexpected. Talk to a State Farm agent today. Here are my teammates for today's podcast. Kevin Clark from the Ringer Football Show and, of course, all of his pieces that you've seen on the NFL. I'm going to do a big free agency roundup with him. Heavy on the Colts, too. Little Bears. Uh, very little pats because we're going to save that for Seth Wickersham, who has the piece on the Brady-Belichick divorce up on ESPN.com. It's incredible. Great timeline stuff. Seth's one of my favorite football writers. So that is the plan for today. So let's start it off with Kevin Clark. Okay, Kevin, here's the plan. I gave you the list of all the stuff that I want to do regarding NFL free agency. We realize why some of the stuff has gone overlooked because of bigger things going on outside of football. But let's start with the Colts. Because I was watching some Chris Ballard stuff this morning where they gave Jacoby Brissett the two-year deal before the season started to get his money up. But at the end of the year, I thought it was really um, revealing for Ballard, which because most guys just won't even do it, even though it seems like the obvious thing. It's like, look, we the jury's still out. We've got a year deal on him. They go ahead and do Phillip Rivers. They make a trade in the first round uh, for, for DeForest Buckner. Let's start with Rivers. In, in big picture, what are the Colts doing? The Colts are trying to plug a hole that was incredibly clear in the second half of last season. Now, Brissett was a little bit banged up, but he was basically a bottom five quarterback the last half of the season. Um, Pro Football Reference has this thing called bad throws. He was at about 20% last season. Rivers was, I think, sixth best in that category at around 14 or 15. Um, and so Brissett wasn't throwing down the field at all. I think he was 29th in the NFL in his ability to, to even throw the deep pass, let alone be accurate on it. Um, this is just, I think, the Colts understanding that they have a deep and talented roster and trying to get there. I think the argument for Philip Rivers is, you know, I had Rich Ornberger on my podcast last week, and he played with Rivers, and he was saying Rivers is is the worst player to have in a bad situation in the sense that he will he's such a competitor that he will force balls where they shouldn't go. Where, you know, he's always the kind of the, the meme about Philip Rivers. He's always forcing, you know, some pass with two, with two minutes left down eight or whatever. He played the entire season like that. He had almost no time to throw. I think they were in the bottom four in offensive line last year. Now he goes to a top three offensive line by pro football focus. And so I, I think the argument here 
is that the any decline from Philip Rivers was almost all situational. And guys trying to do too much is a common theme. Remember Daniel Jeremiah saying this about Patrick Mahomes, is that the reason that he thinks he missed on Mahomes was because Mahomes was, was making so many bad passes because he felt he always had to keep his team in it. And I think that we probably read too much and we think this is sort of baseball-y and everything happens in a vacuum. Guys trying to do too much is a very common thing for a lot of good quarterbacks. And that's the best argument for Rivers being better this year being in a better situation, better receivers, better line, better coaching staff. I love the Mahomes uh, point there because, you know, I talked to Kingsbury about that in particular, and it's just always been this thing. It would be like watching Curry in college have the worst shot selection ever. Right. And then Steph Curry's like the greatest shooter we've ever seen. Um, that's, that's, you know, it's maybe a little harsh to say the worst shot selection ever, but no, it's a really good point. Like we constantly, whenever I think of, you know, Brady's had some picks at the end of playoff games and, and people could say, oh, you know, is he really that clutch? And you go, do you realize that his risk, like the calculations in his head of a throw that's worth the risk considering game situation and them having to get down to the field and down four or more, like what he's willing to do at the end of those games, like a lot of people. Now, if you're throwing three picks, you know, in the second the start of the second half of a playoff game, it's completely different than going I need to up the risk on my throws. And clearly Rivers running around to save his life now for every sunset that we've seen for years. <laughs> I I think you're really on to side. Like, I don't think that's even opinion, a weird framing of any of those things. I think you almost have to look at him entirely different because it was comical how many times we spent Sunday afternoons going up. Oh, here we go again. 1412 Rivers driving. Well, for so long, for like a decade, Tony Romo was on Fox at like 645 Eastern and he was driving and he was on the 10-yard line. And then you'd flip it over to CBS or DirecTV or whatever, and Rivers would be doing the same thing, but it'd be about 40% crazier. Like, someone's helmet would be flying off. Rivers would be yelling at people. I mean, they were in the same situation constantly at the same times. Uh, it was just a little brighter because in, in, in San Diego because Rivers on the West Coast. Okay, so then a, a much lesser deal, but I, I think pretty... I don't know. Like these, these are higher stakes deals here. You don't see this kind of trade a lot. DeForest Buckner lineman for the Niners, which is really that Niners' strength. I think we can both understand what the Niners are trying to do, worrying about what kind of money is going to be handed out to that group in the future. Yeah. Um, and the Colts grab him. They, they didn't like their D line, but they moved the 13th overall pick and followed up by classic reporting. The Colts didn't really like this draft that much anyway, at least at the. <laughs> <laughs> the deepest receiver draft in history. Um, I, I understand it. I understand the quarterback part of it. They probably didn't think they could get a good quarterback, or maybe they were going to have to reach to get Jordan Love at thirteen or whatever. I, I understand that part of it. I understand why the Niners did this. So the, it's just good business for them, by the way, to get four really good years out of a first round pick and then get a first round pick back from uh, a top half of the first round pick. I think that D line in San Francisco. Obviously, I'm like we don't have to talk about how nasty it was, but you know. Retaining Eric Armstead at four million dollars a year less than what Buckner got, and getting a first round pick, I can understand it. Obviously, D Ford and Joey Bosa. When D Ford played last year, Joey Bosa was the best pass rusher in football, something like that. And in t it, with their interior pressure, Armstead and Buckner and their ability to do twists and all this stuff and the complicated stuff they were able to do up front, that was the reason that they wrecked games. So, so they do have to replace DeForest Buckner inside because uh, in order to replicate what they did last year, they need a game-wrecking presence like that. But from a value standpoint, I understand why the Niners did it. With the, with the Colts, yeah, I mean, they, they, they can improve their front. Um, you know, I, I saw some of the pro football focus guys arguing against this pick only because they think there's a limited 
um, a, a limited value that interior pass rushers, even Aaron Donald, have. Um, you know, 19 and a half sacks uh, last two years. I mean, DeForest Buckner just, just wrecks games. And I understand the the argument I've seen a couple of plays from a couple of smart people, which is the guys get rid of the ball so quickly now that you have to have some sort of interior game wrecking presence, just get the hand up, move the pocket or, or that kind of stuff, because you can essentially scheme out at, at outside pressure and you can you can step up in the pocket whatever if you're going against Mahomes in the second round of the playoffs you need a guy who's just going to push the pocket back get in his face and just try to wreck the game a little bit from the interior because Mahomes is smart enough to figure out outside pressure that's the that's the sort of sort of scheme argument and that's what the Colts are trying to do yeah I'm understanding from the Colts side of it of, even though you know we love that cost certainty of the first few years but when you have that kind of talent on that Niners front um they're getting ahead of making a decision here and getting more value back. So even though I'd love to see that Niners line stay the way it is, at least for another year coming off of that thing, you're right. The smarter teams kind of look at this and go, hey, we already know what problem's waiting us here. So why don't we get the best asset now for this? So I actually think it makes a ton of sense for both sides. Okay, let's talk um, other quarterbacks here. What's the market for Cam Newton? So Cam and Jameis are in the same spot, which is this is the weirdest quarterback market I can remember. Do you remember ever a time when the quarterback supply outstripped the demand no. ever. It's never no. happened. And, and and part of the reason is because the spread offense and these guys coming out of college have thrown, you know, 10,000 hour theory, Gladwell stuff. I mean, they've, they've thrown thousands and more times in the generations above them. But then the coaches figured out how to utilize that where, you know, essentially between 2000, what, six, seven and 20 16, nobody had any idea what to do with these guys. And that's why a generation of Marcus Mariotas were, were ruined by a generation of Mike Malarkey's. And so I think that Cam Newton needs to go to a place. I think Cam and Jameis are different situations. I think Cam needs to go to a place where he can start if he gets healthy. I, I, I th- Why can't he go to the Chargers? Why can't the Chargers take a flyer on him? And if he doesn't get healthy, roll with Tyrod. That's a great roster. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But I, I, I think that he needs to go to a place like that, like maybe Denver as a, you know, let's see if he can't beat out Drew Locke if he gets healthy, something like that. And just try to get healthy in a, in a good organization where he'll have time to rehab. Nobody has to worry about anything and 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 kind of roll and a team can kind of take a flyer on him, sign him to a one year, $8 million deal, something like that. The Patriots don't have the cap space, but it'd be a nice kind of. FU move by Cam to try to go and resurrect his career with Belichick. And, and I, you know, He's basically just what taking Cody Kessler's spot on the roster. That's fine from Belichick's standpoint. Um, if he would take two million dollars, something like that, just to to try to resurrect his career, I, I'd understand it. With Jameis, I I think he should go to some really smart offensive coach and be a backup for a year and try to get kind of the the Teddy Bridgewater hype if he goes four and zero in 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 a stint somewhere. Why why can't he go to a New Orleans? Why can't he try? I mean, you know, they re-signed Chad Henney, but why can't he try to go play for Andy Reid, something like that, and just get in the system? Because unfortunately, there's not enough starting jobs right now. So if I'm Jameis right now, I just try to reset the career a little bit. So what do we have as far as open markets then right now? Like, what do you think? What do you think the Chargers are doing? Then, if they're not interested in either of those guys, I mean, God, and when you're throwing out those numbers, like maybe you're right. I mean, I know New England, I think, has the second least amount of cap space when I was looking at this mm-hmm. stuff this morning. Um, but you know, t- the idea that Cam still coming off of an injury would be a two or a four million dollar a year quarterback. I don't know if this is just being 
delayed because of everything that's going on and they can't really get him into a facility and, and yeah, truly the, take the, a the, look. The lack of physical, they cannot give him yeah. a physical until the coronavirus is over. And and by the way, the Redskins doctor came out yesterday and said, we basically have to ban this until it's over. Not like not like we're putting a date on it. Everyone can do it June 1st. He's like, until this whole thing is over, we're not doing any physical. So that could be I'm not, I'm not going to get into when that's going to end, but I'm just saying that could be a long time from now. So if you're the Chargers, I understand why you'd be hesitant. But yeah, that's, I, I get what you're saying. I'm, I'm actually surprised. Like, Why wouldn't the Chargers? Would the Chargers just not feel safe about... I guess it just could be as simple as travel. But I'm, I'm surprised. Like, If you had a lot of interest in camp, okay, and you go, all right, well, everything that's going on, we can't really get a physical. Well, let's figure out a way to get a physical. If it's just two guys in a room, right. like why can't, why can't we do that when we're talking about, I mean, we can get into all the rules of, of what everybody's supposed to be doing. I'm surprised the team wouldn't, if they really liked him that much. And maybe that's the whole point. Like I've always had that thing when Vince Young couldn't get another job and, and people were like, what the hell, what the hell, look at his, look at his start. You know, look at the one loss record at the beginning of his, his career and you just go, yeah, but sometimes the NFL kind of just confirms what what we may think about a quarterback and that there's just a lot of people around the league going, eh, I don't know. And Jameis throws a million picks, Cam, <laughs> especially now, we don't know if he's hurt or not. So as as far as you're concerned, the Chargers are still a what, TBD or they have a plan? Yeah, or- okay, so they didn't trade for him. So Rappaport has the report that the Bears and the Chargers were offered him in a trade. And really, I mean, listen, all 31 of their teams were offered him in a trade because everyone knew Cam Newton was available since November. But I, I, I think that the Chargers didn't want to take a swing at a $21 million cap hit. I'm not sure if that was his know. cap hit. Yeah, that was his cap hit on the, 19 on the maybe. I think or, it was. Well, I think it. Yeah, Spotrac has it twenty one. We're close. Yeah, yeah right. it's nine. It's nineteen in cash. You make right. nineteen in cash, and so um, that would you would definitely have that as the baseline for the cap. So what? Um, I is around nineteen or twenty. So I I think that they didn't want him at that number. If you're them now, you have to you have to look into it. And I understand why they don't want to do the, the the physicals or whatever. But I mean, this was made. David Cantor, the agent, made this point. I mean, is there an NFL player who doesn't live within an hour of an NFL? facility like i i why can't the fa- is the falcons doctor busy like why why can't we have a little bit of of uh community uh physicals here where one team sends x-rays to another team or whatever um i that would be sort of my my solution to this sort of thing because if you're the pa right now you know one of the things that people talked about that some of the cap guys were talking about is there was no kind of middle tier free agency this year. It was the top, top tier and Amari Cooper going for $100 million. And then we almost went right to the bargain basement. There was almost no middle class. A lot of guys taking one year prove it deals. And I think part of that is because the teams didn't want to take risks. And by the way, I think the same thing is going to happen in the draft where you're going to see a very risk averse league um, because we don't have you know less tape or info on, on pro on uh, small school guys or, or guys who are question marks teams are probably just going to pass on because they don't get these medical rechecks and pro days and stuff but if you're the pa right now don't you want some of uh, a cam newton or Jameis winston to get signed and doesn't that require a little bit of effort on pretty much everybody's part to make sure that, that the questions that the teams might have are answered i would think so but i can only think that probably there's there's a handful of teams that trust no one you know, <laughs> where they just go like, you there, know, might be thir- fact, there might be 32 right. of those, actually. 
Uh, yeah, that's 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 even better said. All I can think of is one of the times where there was a Patriots player hurt in a game against Cincinnati. This is almost 20 years ago, and he was towards the Cincinnati sideline, and Cincinnati trainers is kind of protocol when the other team's player is like right next to you, writhing in pain. You just go to check and see how he's doing, and Belichick was like, get the fuck away from my player. They were like, all right. Like, Do you cool. know, have I, I, when I was in college, the uh, the Saints were practicing at the University of Miami campus during the Super Bowl, the, the week of the Super Bowl. And I was parked in the garage right right above uh, Green Tree where they practiced. And I was literally, I had no idea they were even there. And I just, I was a junior in college or whatever. And I walked to my car and I spent like five seconds just looking at practice. I was just like, hey, look, the Saints are here. I'm, I'm a college kid. I'm just, just looking at practice. And within those five seconds, a Saints security guard somehow found me. I was like the fourth floor of a garage. And he was like, if you spend one more second looking there, I'm threatening, I'm going to call the cops. That's awesome. You look sketchy, though, anyway. So that's true. That's I also, yeah. And I was, you know, I mean, come on, it was college. I probably looked significantly sketchy, probably hungover. I mean, I probably looked like I was, I was stealing something for somebody. Like, what was that? Was that red go? Was that red go? <laughs> what was that? Let me, let me get my charts out. Mike Leach you style. Ever, like, my favorite thing about paranoia with coaches is sometimes I'll be in a, in a room and they'll be like, they'll have their, their boards up on a whiteboard, their plays up on a whiteboard, or they'll say something to another coach and I'll have my tape recorder on. They'll be like, you have to delete that. It's like, dog, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like they'll always be like, it'll always be like uh, some random, like, you know, red hot 62 dog go thing written on the board. And they'll be like, you can't steal that now. And I'm like, what, what am I going to do with that? <laughs> I remember when we would take pictures of ourselves, like we would have to do it for college game day and, and different stuff. And then, They'd look at the picture to be like, wait a minute, did you get did you get our recruiting thing in the background? I'd be like, yeah, we have everybody's gonna lose their minds. You have the four star four star guys higher on your list than the three star guys, like behind yeah, you. Exactly. Um, you have name you have names right. of players that everybody knows on your board. Wow. No way. Okay, I'll get to some more rapid fire stuff. We get Kevin on the Bears quarterback situation with Foles and Trubisky. But when it comes to meat, how great is this? Right after we're teasing uh Chicago stuff. When it comes to meat, quality matters, and ButcherBox believes everyone deserves high-quality, humanely sourced meat. I have some steaks. I got some chicken. I am doing great with the bacon. There's even a pork situation over there that I'm a little intimidated by, but you know what? I'm going to give it a go, especially right now, cooking from home a lot more like a lot of you are. I mean, if there wasn't, if you're not going to do ButcherBox now, why even bother, right? So, every month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of antibiotic and hormone-free meat right to my house. It's packed fresh, shipped frozen, and vacuum-sealed. Each box has 9 to 11 pounds of meat, enough for 24 individual meals. At around just $6 a meal, folks, ButcherBox is the most affordable and convenient way to get healthy, humanely raised meat. That includes 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wildcat Alaskan salmon, and sugar nitrate-free bacon. How good does that sound? Which part? The sugar part or the lack of nitrates? Take your pick. You can customize a box or go with one of theirs and with free shipping nationwide except for Alaska and Hawaii. Sorry. Right now, ButcherBox is offering new members ground beef for life. Ground beef for life. That's two pounds of ground beef in every box for life of the subscription plus $20 off the first box. Just go to butcherbox.com forward slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N, or enter the promo code R-Y-E-N at checkouts. Either way, Ryan, R-Y-E-N, that's butcherbox.com forward slash Ryan, or enter the promo code Ryan at checkout. You're going to be cooking from home more. 
Some of you have bigger families. Have ButcherBox send you the options. Get it in the freezer. You never know how bad the grocery stores are going to be. Um, seriously, it actually makes a ton of sense right now. Okay, let's uh, let's fire through some more stuff here then. So how many teams can we put under the the to-be-determined quarterback thing here? The Chargers, fair. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I, think, I think you should always, and I think Mariota answered some of these questions, and they, they kind of... So they, they gave significant money to him, so I guess they're set for this year, but I never truly trust John Gruden to be done with the quarterback just because things go south for any quarterback that he has under him so quickly. I mean, just the relationship. I, I feel like he... I feel like the biggest mistake that teams make when they sign a quarterback to a big contract like Derek Carr is they treat him like a franchise quarterback instead yeah. of upgrading. And I think John Gruden is not making that mistake. And I think that you, you just never know with that. So I would say the Chargers. I would also say, I mean, are we totally sure? Why wouldn't, if something crazy happens, why wouldn't the Broncos try to at least create some competition for Drew Locke? I think they really like him. And then, you know, the thing that I always think is kind of silly about the whole deal is how we get into the the mind games of it all, right? Where it's, well, they really like Drew Locke, so we don't want to bring somebody else in here in competition and mess with him. And then my thinking is always, if anybody's going to be really good, they're just going to be really good. Like, none of these other things are going to happen. And then, you know, I saw a, a stat today about how Rodgers rested, Brady rested, Mahomes rested. And look how good all these guys are, you know, rest everybody. And then you're like, yeah, I don't know. I, I you know, I don't. Rogers thing was crazy because he sat around for far retirement every year. Brady's thing was totally unpredictable because somebody got hurt. And Bledsoe, who was never really hurt. Um, I'm I'm with you in that. Like, I'm, I'd be open minded to it. I just I don't know how Cam would handle kind of being the man for a decade for a franchise, despite the ups and downs of it, to now you're backing up a kid that was lip-syncing to Jeezy on the sideline. <laughs> so, I, I understand what you're saying. The and, snowman. Uh, and the Jeezy is is a red flag, without a doubt. Um, I think that, yeah, the, 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 the competition thing is interesting to me. Like, I, I see the value in someone like Ryan Fitzpatrick, where Ryan Fitzpatrick beat out Josh Rosen, and we quickly found out that Josh Rosen just isn't the guy we thought he was. Like maybe there's some questions about Arizona and all that, and then he gets beat out by 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 Fitzpatrick. We understand you need like a baseline competence there, where if the guy is actually bad, he gets beat out. Um, I actually am okay with quarterback competitions. I'm I'm in your camp where if 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 Drew Lock gets beat out by a unhealthy Cam Newton, then Drew Lock's not the guy you need to commit the next ten years to, and that's the question you're going to be. That's the question you should always be asking yourself with your franchise, with a quote unquote franchise quarterback is, is are you going to commit to him for the next, for the foreseeable future? And I think the only way you find that out is little steps like, can he beat out a, you know, a, a guy we took a flyer on? I see that's, I'm with you. I like competition and that's the whole point. That's your answer. But like if, if Cam Newton comes in here in the camp and Drew Locke crumbles because of competition and us not buying into him, then what the hell is he going to do in a big spot? you know, to get into the playoffs or if we're lucky enough to even play in a playoff game. Like, he, he'd be giving us the answer to who he is as a guy. And I'm not even saying this specifically about Drew Locke, but I do know they really like him a lot, even though going back a year ago, uh, the word was is he wasn't close. Like, we're like, oh, man, this guy this guy really isn't ready. So he's an incredible story. Because you hear the same stuff about Haskins. You're like, hey, this guy really isn't ready. This guy's not ready. We still don't know what the Redskins are with him at the position. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll wait on Locke. Or, excuse me, Andrew Locke as well. All right, let's do uh, a couple more. Pats, what's the plan now? It can't just be Stidham and Hoyer, right? Well, I think that at some point they're going to bring in 
one of these guys, whether that's whether that's an Andy Dalton or a, I mean, even a, if if Derek Carr at some point becomes expendable, and I, I don't know how that situation is going to play out. Um, not Jameis. That's the, the Patriots report has made that very clear. But then maybe maybe a Cam Newton again. If Cam Newton wants to take a deep, deep, deep discount to fit into that cap, I think I still think that he wa- that Belichick wants to kind of Taysom Hill this a little bit. And I think that he's been so fascinated going back a decade when Tim Tebow was at Florida. Bill Belichick, you know how he, like the joke is he always talks about like left-footed punters and special teams, whatever at press conferences. One of the some of the most eloquent answers he's ever given were about the single wing and going back to the 1920s, 1930s, and how you know the the read option and the Urban Meyer spread stuff down in down in college, how that was just all very cyclical and, and very single wingy. And he seemed very fascinated with that. And I've always thought that he wanted to try to reinvent the game a little bit in that way. And, I, and no one is a bigger student of the game. We've, we've talked about how I once asked him about Paul Brown and he had no idea what I was talking about, but he really does. He, he really does kind of appreciate history more than maybe any other football coach. And I think he, he would like to tinker with the position a little bit. And and I, I think that if he does bring in a sturdy veteran, or even if he rolls with someone like Stidham or Brian Hoyer, I think there's going to be some experimentation, but I just don't know what that looks like yet. Who starts more games for the Bears, Foles or Trubisky? Foles, without a doubt. You don't trade for, for Foles and pay him that money. I think that Trubisky drove everybody in that building insane. Like, I just feel like there was a, <laughs> I feel like there was just a cloud hanging over it because they were like, we're stuck with this guy. And once you make that move, and this is, I remember going on Chicago radio around the Super Bowl, and I said, this is what they have to do. They have to bring in a guy who's a veteran who can just beat out Trubisky and end this thing. You don't have to go and trade five picks for Joe Burrow or two or whatever, or go out and try to get you know, a franchise guy, just go out and get a guy who can beat Mitch Trubisky and end this chapter of Bears football. It's not going to get any better with Trubisky. Trubisky is not going to get any better. He's not going to turn it off. No, I don't. I'm out on that one all the way out. Uh, although Chase Daniel, it was great that him him getting into a game banked him. I think he's going to end up being about 50 million with, with five career starts. Uh, who else? Who else? Okay, you know what? This... This uncertainty of everything, which is probably as good a way to put it as anything, just not knowing. Uh, I am not in the camp that the NFL needs to make any dramatic decisions here when we're still in March. But how do you think some of the teams have positioned themselves? Like, is there any element of this delay that helps certain teams and maybe has even influenced their approach in the offseason? Yeah, so the answer is yes. And so it, one of the forgotten things of the 2011 lockout season was Bill Belichick basically changed his playbook because he knew there was going to be limited practice time and it was going to be guys learning learning their teammates' names on the fly. And he essentially changed his defense to be more familiar and more easy to learn. And I think that kind of coaching is going to be valuable this, this, this time because OTAs, write them off. They're done. And you're looking at they're not going to have randomly have OTAs over Fourth of July weekend if this thing gets solved and then have training camp three weeks later. So my guess is they're aiming for the beginning of training camp. Maybe they'll have some sort of virtual rookie mini camp or whatever, get everybody on the same page. But I just don't think they're going to have everybody flying around, you know, beginning of May. And so I think it's going to come down to veteran teams. You You look at the 2011 season, which is the best guidepost for this. 
Uh, the Giants obviously won the Super Bowl. Now was a veteran team that you know won the Super Bowl three and a half years earlier. The Patriots were good. Ravens, Packers. I mean, it was really, with the exception of of the Niners, who obviously um, Jim Harbaugh is a really good coach. Most of those teams were were holdovers. And for me, I think the veteran teams who have adaptable, smart coaches who understand what this the realities of the season are going to be that's important. You think about the Ravens; they were already good last year. Then they add Calais Campbell and Michael Brockers, and it's not going to take a lot for those guys to get on the same page. There's going to be a lot of continuity there. I think John Harbaugh is a, a top five coach, and so he's going to be able to sort of figure out what is needed. I think Lamar Jackson's pretty, if you didn't notice, pretty much has the the offense down. So I think that there's it's, it's going to be it's going to favor the teams that were already good. And I think that, you know, I, I joke around about this a lot, but I'm a huge Formula One fan. And one of the things that Formula One did a number of years ago was they, in order to make everything fair, they limited how much you could practice. And that actually didn't make things fair at all. It just made the teams who were already good much better because the worst teams couldn't practice to get better. And if you get rid of, if you're a new coaching staff and you have OTAs canceled, rookie mini camp canceled, well, it's pretty damn hard to quote unquote establish a culture. Tom Brady, the big thing now is, oh, he won, he's going to come to OTAs, he wants his teammates' phone numbers, all that. Well, when's he going to throw to these guys? When is he get, when's the first time Tom Brady's going to have 10 guys in front of him with the, that he's actually going to play with in September and be able to run these plays? It's something we're probably not talking about enough. Give me uh, the market for Jadavian Clowney. I'm confused by this. So the word is he wanted $20 million a year and he's not getting it. But I mean, this is a league where Dante Fowler is getting 16. So I, my guess is he, he, he either signs a one or two year deal at let's call it 17 or 18. I mean, he's better than Dante Fowler on the D line. I, I just, sometimes this league overthinks itself. Like I understand those questions about, you know, his game to game quote unquote motor, but he's better than a lot of these guys. And and if I'm the Seahawks, I, I try to bring him back. The Seahawks have done a nice job this offseason um, getting a couple of value picks. And I think that Quentin Dunbar, again, fifth-round value, just like the Ravens, um, using fifth-round picks to their advantage. I, I think the Seahawks are smart. and They'll try to bring Clowney back on a, on a reasonable deal. They'll give him a little bit of money. Somebody else that I thought maybe would have a little bit more interest just because of the scarcity of offensive linemen is, is Jason Peters at left tackle. I know he's older, but he has played 16 and 13 in the last two seasons after missing half the season 2017. I don't know what the ask is, but did you expect maybe a little bit more interest in Peters? Yeah, I expected that. I think the tackle market is is sort of weird. Um, Trent Williams, who the hell knows what's going on with that situation. His agent released a statement today that it's time to to trade him. Um, I, I, everyone in Philadelphia loved him. This is a league where, uh, where Trent Brown, his cap hit this year is $21 million. I mean, the ability to get someone like Jason Peters on a flyer, essentially, unless he's asking for big money, we don't know about it. Uh, I, I would be calling every day, uh, if I were an NFL team trying to, trying to get that solidified, because I think that, that those sort of veteran tackles, I, you know, Andrew Whitworth's a different situation, but like those guys, you don't have to worry about them. And 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 I don't know how Peters will age. But again, as you said, he played 29 games the last two years. I, I, I would bring him in if if possible. Hey, I just wanted to let everybody know you should check out Dirty Money on Netflix, um, a new series. This is the second season that they've run it. It's really good stuff. And that your wife is the star of the Wells Fargo one. 
where she was investigating this. Now, I wonder, does that mean because she's so smart on the financial stuff that you have to explain and justify every expenditure as a family? Um, Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, she understands this stuff. And she also wins every argument about any financial things like (laughs) if if i well just in the sense that like if i'm like oh i think it'd be wise to invest in this she'll be like well you know that i uh she's very cash she's a nice person in the world but she would just be like very casually just slip in like you know i've i've written about uh banks for a decade and i go yeah that's that's true i forgot about that so is that her wheelhouse now she is she with the wall street journal as well yeah. like you were yeah right so yeah yeah, yeah. she is um, but she she actually covers do you want to say uh, her name just so her name's I mean, emily I don't know. Her, her name's emily glazer and she actually covers uh the political side of it now um because of the 2020 election but yeah her wheelhouse is she's basically covered finance she covered finance for seven years now she covers pol- politics but it's still money and tech and all that stuff it's all that intertwined my favorite part about that is that it's once again another example of everybody that's a financial analyst, not your wife here, but everybody that they're running these clips of defending Wells Fargo. Kramer going, I mean, I thought he was going to make out with the CEO stuff <laughs> uh, at some point. And then I think Kevin O'Leary, aka Mr. Perfect from Shark Tank, who I think is just taking it out on people now, but he, I think there's a clip of him being on one of, one of the shows, and I should say CNBC, not MSNBC. Um, I, I, I saw him on one of the shows yelling at the lawyers that were coming after Wells Fargo. When yeah. I remember being a customer of Wells Fargo because I had a mortgage with them. And then the next thing I know, I had all of these accounts and they were constantly hitting me with these fees. I'd be like, why would I have any money in this account? And they're like, well, you have a mortgage. So you should do the credit card too. Like, it doesn't matter. None of it matters. They did refund me my... Um, my overdraft fees, which didn't make any sense anyway, because it was like drawing from two different accounts that I never even used. So, uh, what was was the weirdest thing? What was the weirdest thing that Wells Fargo charged you for that you didn't even know you had? Do they like give you, do they give you a car loan even though you didn't have a car or something? (laughs) No, it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily that bad. They were always asking me, they would check in every now and then and be like, how do you feel about your, your finances and everything? And I'd be like, well, I don't know. I, I, Always, they could always be better, but I, I don't, who's this cliff in, you know, in Oklahoma city, like I, you know, sorry, but I, you're not getting, you're not going to be managing my money. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't as nasty as some other stuff or like a Madoff thing that I'm reading about in Gladwell's book right now in trusting strangers and, and, um, always switching back to default of, of truth or trust, I guess. Have you started to read that book, by the way, talking to strangers? I have not. Yeah, it. it's, it's on, it's on my list. It's on my list. Yeah. Check it's it out. Happen. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just another, it's it's actually disheartening because I've had this theory that I've been developing now for more and more, um, I don't know, I, I guess I would say the last couple of years, you just go like, I'm starting to think just everything is full of shit and you navigate it in whatever way you can. I, um, I agree with you. Um, yeah. I, yeah, and I appreciate the shout out. My wife was awesome. She is awesome. It's she was awesome. Show. Yeah. All it's right. Everybody show. check it out. Kevin Clark. Can I ask um, you one more question? Yeah. Who's, do you feel weird that no, not enough teams including the Panthers, are tanking for Trevor Lawrence? Tanking in the NBA is is different than everything else because one player changes everything. The only difference would be a quarterback here with the NFL. So yes, I see what you're saying, but I just think it's really, really hard. Like Whenever I would bring up tanking in any of the football guys that we worked with at ESPN, it was just like gag-inducing. Like telling Jeff Saturday, hey, you're going to tank this year. You know, Bill Polian. I remember bringing it up. Blah! You know, like Polian obviously was always wicked friendly anyway, but... um. 
I always get along with Bullion. I, I don't know. What, what do you think? You, do you think a team should just sort of say, hey, we're actually really going to go ahead and do this for 16 games? It's tough I to do. I think that the Panthers looked like they were going to do it, and then they gave Teddy Bridgewater $20 million a year, which I think as a player is a really good signing. But from a team standpoint, I'm just it sends mixed message. You can't trade Trey Turner for for almost nothing in return. I don't know. It was, it was I, if I was a, an owner right now, kind of in that zone what we're talking about, where you don't really have a plan, I would I would try to blow it up. If you're Matt Rule, wouldn't you rather have Trevor Lawrence than two years two after this two more years of Teddy Bridgewater at twenty years per? Uh, yeah, but uh, you know, I wanted to make sure it would be locked in. The Teddy Bridgewater one, I am with you, and I sensed it when you said it there a little bit. Like Bridgewater has this thing where it's almost like a guy that you've never hung out with, but you've seen him at other things, and everything looks cool. Like you've never had dinner with him or spent a night out with him, but like you saw him in a lobby on your way to something else, and like after five or six of those, you're like, man, that guy seems great. We should hang out, but you don't actually know. I feel like Teddy has been in and out of the picture long enough in his career that some people are convinced like he's a guy that's going to come in and take you to another level at 16 games. And I have I have no evidence. I have, think more evidence that tells me he's he's league average at best. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he can be a fine quarterback in the right situation. I just don't know if if I think he could be a good quarterback in the right situation. I just I just think that Carolina is not New Orleans. Matt Rule is not Sean Payton, and that roster is not the Saints roster last year. So I think that's going to be a weird time for everybody. Well said. Do you have anything to promote for this week? Uh, Ring Run NFL show got a slow news day coming on Wednesday. Special guest Mina Kimes, and we're gonna uh, we're gonna zoom it. We're gonna have some some zoom slow news days for the next. Uh, Five years. You should have your wife work on that story, the the Zoom stock versus the, the other Zoom stock where everybody yeah. buys the wrong Zoom and then it goes crazy and then it, there's a massive sell-off the next day when everybody sees that they bought the wrong one. I love it. I, it's it's <laughs> so great. Have her dig into that. Maybe just a tweet. I'm going to follow her. Uh, <laughs> thanks, man. Thanks, Ryan. Good stuff with Kevin. We'll get to Wickersham here in a moment. But first, the Black Tux believes every groom deserves a better experience when it comes to finding formal wear, a suit, or tuxedo for their big day. It was actually started by two guys who had one of the worst tuxedo fittings you could imagine. The Black Tux easy online ordering process brings your suit or tuxedo straight to you. Just pick a style at theblacktux.com and request a free home try-on so you can feel the fit and quality before you commit. If online isn't your style, the Black Tux also has showrooms all over the country. And honestly, a lot of us need that help as dudes going to the showroom and thinking like, no, I've got my style down. I want something that has a little bit of look at me and they're going to go, no, you're not one of those guys. Maybe you are one of those guys and they're going to sass the hell out of you. But uh, maybe you just need to keep it right in between that middle lane there. You know what I'm saying? So show up to the showroom because they're going to take care of you. From there, they'll ship your order two weeks before your wedding so you can check it out one last time. Whether you're buying your outfit or looking to rent, you won't find a formal wear experience or design like the ones you'll find at the Black Tux. If you want your wedding to be remembered for the right reasons, order your suit or tuxedo at theblacktux.com and enjoy 10% off with the code RUSSILLO, R-U-S-S-I-L-L-O. That's theblacktux.com, code RUSSILLO for 10% off your purchase. The Black Tux formal wear for the moment, as I've said with the Black Tux, because I enjoyed my experience so well and uh, or so much, and I did not get paid to do this. I don't get paid extra for this at all. But if you have any problems or whatever, just hit me up uh, on, on Twitter at Ryan A. Rosillo, and I'll try to help um, any problems you're having with the Black Tux. Not just regular problems, because nobody has time for that. 
One more thing. Today's podcast is sponsored by ADT Commercial for Business. ADT Commercial serves businesses ranging from mid-sized organizations to large-scale enterprises. Think of them as a special team or as one focus, your business security. They provide a comprehensive line of security, fire, life safety, and risk management solutions, professional-grade systems, and commercial-grade businesses with ADT Commercial. Every day is game day. Fortune 1000 companies rely on ADT Commercial for highly complex, scalable, integrated solutions that will help solve their unique unique business challenges. And if you're looking for a partner to upgrade or take over the monitoring and service of your current system, ADT Commercial can help to painlessly install and maintain large-scale and multi-site businesses. They make it easy to switch providers. Their onboarding is predictable, dependable, and painless. Schedule a no-obligation security review with ADT Commercial for Business. No pain that's good in sports and good in business security. Visit ADT.com forward slash game day to learn more. That's ADT dot com forward slash game day. Well, he's been on the story now for years. He's been hinting at it. I don't know if he knew definitively. Maybe he knew more than he ever let on. But it's Seth Wickersham, senior writer, ESPN, Outside the Lines, whose piece goes through the timelines of Brady's decision to move on from the New England Patriots. Or was it really Belichick's decision made for Brady? So I want to do this in two parts. I've, I've mapped it out here. Let's start on the Brady side. We'll get to the Belichick side and try to figure this thing out here. Was he done after the Tennessee playoff loss? Man, so he just said today that he wasn't. I mean, he said that he decided, you know, the night that he drove to Robert Kraft's house. But I'll tell you, man, he sure put off a vibe that he was over it. And, um, you know, I was at that game, and I've seen him after season-ending losses before. I mean, he's a guy who looks physically ill after he loses. I've seen him after playoff losses, after Super Bowl losses. And he came into that news conference like a hurricane out of the locker room. And then he did something he's never done before after one of those big losses. He took his time. He was in no rush to get out of there. He answered people's questions, most of which had to do with his future. Um, after they yelled last question, he answered several last questions. And then, you know, he left with his wife. His daughter was in his arms sleeping because it was such a late game. And, you know, they left Gillette Stadium. And, you know, it was clear. And I wasn't the only one. I was there with Jeff Darlington at ESPN, who's been all over the story. Peter King was there. It was clear that if Brady... It was clear that Brady knew that he might be doing something that he had done a lot for the very last time. When was it at its worst during the timeline? Because there's a lot of stuff that you point out uh, I have always thought that Alex Guerrero, his trainer, having access to the facility, and then there are these camps that were sort of divided by players that were going to him instead of Pat Staffers. Like, even if Guerrero is a wizard, it's a really odd thing. And anybody that understands trainers, like every trainer thinks every other trainer is wrong and an idiot. Um, so, I, you know, that was always one where I'm like, does Tom not understand like how divisive this is, even if his guy is the man? But then it feels like it, it times maybe was even worse. There's a lot of little things that may be stacked up, but what do you believe was maybe the most contentious time between Bill and Brady? Yeah, I'd, I'd put two things. I, I would I would say two things. The first, I would say, was during Deflategate when you have Tom, who always, you know, took the high road, stood by the organization, you know, even during the Spygate days. And then I think that there was a sense, at least from the people close to him, that the organization just kind of put this thing in his lap. Like Bill Belichick did it right before the Super Bowl. And then Robert Kraft, you know, waved the white flag when he decided to not challenge the league on the suspension. Now, look, I don't know if Kraft could have done anything. It's not like he can sue the NFL. Um, 
he's an owner. But, you know, I think there was a sense that, like, look, here's a guy who was always a good soldier, a model citizen, and look what you guys did when, you know, this ridiculous um, scandal came up. And then the second thing I would say was, yeah, the fall of 2017. I mean, there was issues in the building with Alex Guerrero, issues in the building with the TB12 method and how it pitted players um, in the middle, you know, with the Patriots trainers on one side and the TB12 method on the other. But the other thing that I wrote about at the time was that Brady wanted a contract extension. He had just won his fifth Super Bowl and he reiterated his goal to play until his mid-40s. And I think he wanted a contract that reflected that and supported that commitment. But honestly, I think that if the Patriots didn't want to give it to him, he was okay moving on. I think he just wanted clarity. And what he got was clarity of a different sort. I mean, he skipped the off-season program, sent a bunch of weird messages out there in the world, including saying, I plead the fifth, when asked if he was appreciated. Um, Got $5 million worth of incentives, new incentives in August of 2018, which he didn't hit. And then in August of 2019, the negotiations went so bad, he almost left training camp and signed what was essentially a one-year deal and in which he could void out of. And so all of this stuff was coming. But I, you know, I do think that those were the two moments where it was at its worst. So as Kraft has tried to sell everyone in the media on this, and I cannot emphasize this enough, how absurd his campaigning has been here, because it doesn't make any sense in that he thought Brady was driving over that night to work out a contract extension quietly. Uh, He has put this all on Brady as if it exists only as Brady's decision. Um, Do you think they could have figured out a way to make this work? Like, what did Tom need to make this work? if you believe that he actually wasn't done after that Tennessee loss? I mean, I think that he wanted a, a commitment for two years without qualifiers. And I think that he wanted, you know, a sense that Belichick wanted him there. And, you know, Bill will just not let up. And, you know, Albert Breer of Sports Illustrated had a great piece of reporting um, in his Monday column where he just said, you know, Brady wasn't going to beg for his job and Belichick wasn't going to beg for him to come back. And if we can just like look at the big picture, I mean, these guys are such portraits of extremes. In one sense, you have Tom Brady saying he's going to play until his mid-40s and working his ass off to live up to that. I mean, that just doesn't happen that often. I remember his dad once told me, he was like, you know, Tom's going to be a modern-day George Blanda. And nobody believed it. Not even coaches within the Patriots believed it. But sure enough, here he is sincere as ever about trying to accomplish that goal. And then you have Bill Belichick, who's part of his genius is knowing exactly when to move on from a player. So those two philosophies, those two goals were always going to be at odds. So on Bill's side, and even though Tom may have wanted Bill to deviate from his approach, like Bill, I think, takes pride, almost joy in showing how little he'll ever deviate. I wonder, do you think there's any part of him that enjoys that he showed that no one is going to make him bend the way he puts together a roster? I don't know. I don't know if joy is the right word, but I think that, you know, I talked to someone who who knows him very, very, very well and just said, look, you know, Bill probably felt it was time. And I know there was a report out there that he had said that he was kind of surprised that, that Tom decided to move on. But I think that, you know, just the way that these contract negotiations have gone shows where Bill's head's at. I think that's, you know... 
He's a tough guy to read. He's not somebody who shares his opinion about things, you know, to the world as we all know. But one declaration of of how he feels about a player is the type of contract that he offers. And we don't have all the details from the contract that they offered him, but we do know that he was comfortable going year to year and not giving him a two-year commitment. So Tom stats, as I've pointed out, against pressure, not great. Um, the red zone numbers were atrocious for Tom. The overthrow numbers that could be argued, they've always been kind of bad because he's so smart with how he has his almost planned incompletions. Um, there were just a lot of numbers that collectively yell at him up and you go, oh, man, maybe this is the whole point. You mentioned in your piece that the Pat scouting reports, their internal reports on their own players are shocking and that even the ones on Tom. Is there anything more that you can tell us about that? Because I thought that was an incredible nugget that maybe means you can't share more, but does it mean, as you're just saying, that the internal scouting report from the Patriots on their own quarterback was this guy's lost it? Well, you know, look, big picture, they always believe they can find a winning game plan no matter who's on their roster, even with Brady being the backstop. And I'm not saying that this is completely rational. I'm not defending it. I'm just saying this is how it is. They have always felt that, you know, they can take what each of their players do best and assemble a winning game plan around. And that's proven wildly successful. With Brady, I mean, remember back in 2017, he had Gronk open on a deep route um, midway through the season. And for whatever reason, and the Patriots at the time believed, you know, that he didn't think he had the confidence to get the ball there. He dumped the ball off to Hogan, I believe, on a shorter crossing route. And that was the play where Hogan, I believe, broke his collarbone. Or, you know, that type of stuff factors into the scouting report. You know, he had a guy open and instead went for the short thing and it ended up hurting one of their key receivers. And I'll refer you to, you know, Ian O'Connor, my colleague in his book, Belichick, had this amazing anecdote where he, he, one of the Patriots coaches told him, hey, look, we think we could win. Give us any of the top 15 or so quarterbacks in the NFL and we think we could win with them. Now, look, we know that they're not Hall of Famers. They know that they're not icons in the franchise history, but we think we could assemble something that would put together a winning game plan. I mean, you know, when Patriots coaches leave and interview for other jobs, owners ask them, you know, what are you going to do without Tom Brady? And they have to have something that can get the owners on board that allows them to believe that the success in New England is something other than the most accomplished quarterback ever. And so that's the best way I can explain that in terms of how they view those things. Every QB decision, you know, whenever I... I look at draft stuff and um, really maybe not draft stuff, but trade stuff in the NBA. People be like, oh, they got to break this up or they got to do this. They got to do that. And you're like, okay, but everything is immediately followed by what are your options? So it's the same way with quarterbacks. Like you can think Tom is this, you can think you can only pay him this. And I, I do think that there's part of it where they wanted to, I think there is a level that you can be disrespectful to Tom Brady and they chose to go that route. Um, and they can say that it's just their way and that's fine. It works. But I don't understand why you couldn't just be more more forthcoming with him instead of letting him be like, hey, us us kind of slow playing you is your answer instead of just saying, hey, this is exactly how we feel, Tom. And it isn't just a number. I'm going to tell you with my words. But to do this and now have it be Stidham, they bring in Hoyer. I get if they want to move on from Tom, but it can't be for this. So do you have any insight into what their plans are? Yeah, I mean... 
it, it will be fascinating to watch. And I mean, I don't know what they're going to do with the quarterback position. We knew that they were going to bring in a veteran that turned into out to be Brian Hoyer. You know, who knows what they're going to do. But I mean, whoever ends up ending up on center be under so much pressure. I cannot even imagine. I mean, even Tom Brady, when he took over for Drew Bledsoe, was not analyzed on a throw-by-throw basis by the public like, you know, Jared Stidham or Brian Hoyer or whoever it will be. Um, whoever that quarterback will be. I mean, that is going to be an incredibly different and difficult situation to step into. Nine Super Bowls. I mean, good. good. Every time I read that sentence, I kind of chuckle a little bit. Be like, he played in nine Super Bowls. Um, you Unbelievable. Met, you met him right after September 11th, November 2001, the team store, as you mentioned in your piece. What's it been like kind of knowing this guy in the role of, of media member. So I would say you're, you're outside whatever it is, but I feel like you've had a longer standing relationship with him than probably anyone else out there covering the NFL. And I've always said this about you to a lot of people like Seth just has a way about him where his features are as good as anyone. And I think it has a lot to do with your personality and how you kind of cultivate these relationships, um, which is a very delicate thing. Like you could do something, especially with somebody like Brady, who can be so me against the world that it could piss him off. So how have you been able to kind of observe him and what, what has that been like in, in getting to know this guy and still probably not being a hundred percent sure of his decision despite 20 years of information? Yeah. I mean, there's always an element of mystery to him, to all great athletes. Like I remember a couple of years ago that Kobe Bryant documentary came out and, you know, it's this great behind-the-scenes look at, at how Kobe trained. And there was so much rage and anger in, in how he propelled himself to make himself great. And I asked Brady, um, I think I sent him an email just saying, like, hey, did you watch this? Is that what it's like, you know? Did you watch this and think that that's you in any way? And he just said, ah, he's the Mamba. I mean, there's always been an, an element of Brady that, you know, nobody can quite get to. Um the most interesting time I just remember was in uh, the off season of 2013. And at that point, it looked like, and certainly some of the Patriots coaches looked like that he was in sort of the downhill slide of his career. He hadn't closed very well in a couple games. Um, you know, they hadn't won a Super Bowl in 10 years at that point, I believe around that. And, um, you know, he was searching. And I remember he had me over at his apartment for a story in Boston in the back bay. Um, on Beacon Street. And, you know, he was just starting to gain confidence in all of these things that are now part of his palette, right? The TB12 method, some of the dietary stuff, working with Tom House, the throwing coach out in California, all that stuff was new at the time, but it was kind of an interesting moment to be around him because for the first time, he was searching. And it took a lot of courage, I think, to break down the entire world that you've um, built yourself on and try to look for new answers. And that's what he was doing at that point. And I always kind of go back to that moment um, when I think about him because um, in retrospect, it was really a key time in his career. And, you know, obviously a year later, they go and they draft Jimmy Garoppolo and he ends up winning a Super Bowl that year. And that really ends up bending the curve the other way where he played better in the last half of his career in New England than he did in the middle. I want to end it here uh, because whenever you're trying to write something and you maybe want something to hit home, uh, you have this this section of the piece up on ESPN.com where you just were like, hey, I'm going to list the stuff and I'm going to read it for everybody. 
in case they don't read the piece, because I just thought it was perfectly executed. After 19 years of excellence, after nine Super Bowl appearances, six wins, after Mo Lewis in the tuck rule game and the spike in the snow, after throttling the greatest show on turf, after Adam Vinatieri's clutch kicks and the intentional safety on a Monday night against the Denver Broncos, after Deion Branch, after Champ Bailey's interception in 2006, after Troy Brown forced uh, Marlon McCree to fumble, after blowing a 21-3 lead to the Colts, after Spygate, after 16-0 in the helmet catch, and after Matt Castle's 11-5 year, again, against a, this is my addition to it, an incredibly easy opponent schedule. After Mario Manningham, the comeback against the Saints, on to Cincinnati, the Baltimore formation, Malcolm Butler, Deflategate, 28-3, the TB12 method, Jimmy G, the Philly special, D Ford lining up offside. After all the glory and fines and suspensions, Tom Brady and Bill Pelichick's Patriots were exhausted. It was over. That was just awesome. It was, uh, you got pretty much everything you need. And I'm sure, you know, people could uh, nitpick and say, oh, you left out this little thing. It's just, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to execute something as basic as a list and make it feel like it's almost kind of the backbone of the whole message. So uh, great job. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. All right. Uh, that's Seth Wickersham. You can check him out at ESPN.com. Like I said, senior writer and your Twitter handle is, I believe, just at Seth Wickersham, right? That's it. All right. Good enough. All right, man. Hang in there. That's the football side of this. I, I would be remiss if I did not share with you my enjoyment of the Netflix series documentary, Tiger King. Everybody's talking about it, and they should be. You know, like every now and then when everybody's talking about something, then people just get sort of turned off. That was always my thing with, uh, with music. You'll always like music more when you're the guy in your group that discovered it first. And then it's almost a little weird if you like it, and then one of your friends out likes the band they do this thing where they want to power up to the point where they like the band more than you and then you're almost annoyed like you have some sort of ownership and people do do that with the bands they, they get really territorial oh well you know picture nectar's good but lawn boys really where it's at you know you're know, like oh okay yep i got it so what i would say that you know that's when they really started you know it's, I like the early stuff, and I, I've done that. I've been I've been very guilty of that, and I also think that it's it's just the way it works. If if everybody else is telling you to like something, I almost feel like it's human nature sometimes, and maybe that's just based on our personalities. Where you just be like, I now resist liking this. Uh, the Alzheimer's Van Pelt with the wire. He decided that <laughs> everybody else liked it so much that he would get annoyed to deny himself watching the greatest show in television history. It's really. <laughs> It's, it's one of the more, <laughs> like, people are X, X, you know, times a million. Everyone likes this divided by pettiness equals self-punishment and denial. <laughs> I even bought him the first season on iTunes and sent it to him, and I know he's never watched it. Talk about a waste of of probably, I don't know, at the time, 29 bucks, maybe 22. If things, things were slowing down a little bit. So anyway, Tiger King. Uh, we got our man Joe Exotic, a.k.a. Joe, a.k.a. Joe Maldonado, a.k.a. Joe Savage at the end. I forget what his last husband's name is. Yes, he's gay. Yes, he owns a zoo in Oklahoma. Yes, he's a big cat guy. We're talking tigers, lions. We're talking, uh, they did have bears. Ligers, which uh, Napoleon Dynamite used to doodle which i thought was pretty amazing that you know ligers they yes they do exist and uh he's also a singer but we found out later on a lot of spoiler alerts in here so sorry but we found out that he i know kyle you've only watched one episode right so i don't want to i don't want to jam you up too much all right so like let's how can i do this without jamming up kyle unless i just go earmuffs what do you think of the first episode let's let's just start there 
I feel like it's got to just go way deeper. I feel like it, on the surface, it seems like, wow, this look at these crazy people. But I feel like it's got to go like they didn't even really get too much into whatever the plot was. There was like snakes and mailboxes. I'm like, well, this seems like it's only first base. So I don't, I just feel like it's going to get nuts. It does. Every time it gets a little weirder, then it gets even weirder. It's like, how many scoops of weird can I get? And you're like, another scoop of weird? That's how it's just... Since you haven't seen it, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, don't you just do it. Bill ruins everything for me when it, you know, with all this stuff. It's fine. Yeah, but I care. I'm still going to enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, let me just put it this way. Maybe we'll do a, a wrap up after you've watched it. Because by the time we tape the pod, well, we'll do one Thursday. But I mean, you might power through it. I power through it a lot quicker than I thought. But there's betrayal. There's all these different factors. One guy has a harem of women, which... If you're a harem guy, like I, I let let's just do a real talk thing here. Um, I think men probably, if you're being honest, kind of love the idea of it. Not all men, but I think a lot of men would say, "Wait, so I could just have like, you know, I could be married to like." And I know, I don't, I don't know how far I want to go with this, but look, we we understand what I'm trying to say here. But then when you actually see the guys that are the harem type guys, you're like, so that would mean like this guy sucks. So I have to be like this guy. I would have to be like this guy to have a neighborhood of of wives like that. I don't know. And I imagine that would just be like, I can't even get married now. I, I can't imagine what, what kind of hassle I'd be like. Oh, are you serious? Be like the nets are on. Dinwiddie just came back from injury. I have to watch this. I can't. Yeah. So, um. There's a harem guy, there's betrayal, there's 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 Vegas dude who shows up on the scene a little bit later. Uh it wasn't shocking that the people that worked on the zoo maybe didn't have a ton of options going on. Um where it felt like some guys were like, sure, I, you know, things are so bleak that maybe I'll just move out to your big cat zoo and eat old Walmart meat and Maybe even marry somebody in a in a way that would have your relatives going, huh? So, I guess at the end of it, I almost felt bad about myself because in any story, we're always rooting for or against someone, and I don't believe the rules of you know who do I like in this show because those rules have been broken. But there's still things that are going to come up a lot in different. You know, if you were to say, oh, you know, these these are all the different characters, it's like okay, but who do I like? Like, no one's ever going to watch this show if all the characters are unlikable. I don't, I don't really believe in that stuff. Um, and I know that those are the rules, and those are the rules. But I don't know that that always has to happen. There's no one that you ever really root for in this show, and it's different because it's a documentary. But if it were a series, it would have been incredible. But now it's too late. Like you can't do the series on it now because no one would have. If you had ever pitched this, and I hate the cliche of, oh, if you gave it to Hollywood, they even believe it. Like, how many times are people going to use that? Uh, but this is one of those deals where it just it doesn't make any sense. And I kind of found myself, was it low-key rooting for the guy that may have tried to organize a murder than the person that the hit was organized for. And that's weird. So I'm gonna leave leave you with that. You check it out, you'll see what I mean. And uh we'll see you on Thursday. Please, as always, rate, review, subscribe, Brian Rosillo Podcast on the Ringer Network. Talk to you Thursday. <laughs>